speaker. Good morning, everybody. Today's date is December 18th, 2022. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page seven, starting at the paragraph that says, my brother-in-law, up to and including page eight, trembling, I stepped. Uh, we have our reader today who will be Karen. And Karen is going to uh, be followed by a 20-minute share by Lulu. So Karen, please do our reading for us. Hi, this is Karen, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in New Jersey. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called Belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredibly incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless procession of sots who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair. I found that in that bitter morass of self-pity, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I have been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stepped from a hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came in the insidious insanity of that first drink on Armistice Day, 1934. I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or I would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted in what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. 
Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much. Okay, and now we're going to have our speaker. Lulu, welcome to the meeting. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Go ahead, Lulu. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. My name is Lulu. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater um, from Minnesota. Um, and this is my first time on this meeting. So I'm actually a little nervous to share, uh, being that I'm not familiar with the meeting, but um, I'm going to roll with it. Um, and actually, when I was told what the pages were of this and I read it, I was like, yes, there's so much good stuff in these in these few paragraphs. Um, so first of all, that that part where it says I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. So for me, this disease didn't just show up uh, in physical. It was a lot of mental as well for me. Um, so that physical piece of the weight gain from all the, you know, compulsive overeating um, and then and then the health complications. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver. Um, I had high blood pressure, you know, all those health complications that come from not eating in a healthy way and not nutritionally, you know, taking care of my body. Um, and then that mental piece. So that mental fog that comes in when I'm in the food. Um, for me, I my disease manifests itself very selfishly. Um, my natural state of being uh, and my character defects are very uh, ego-based and very self-based. Um, so it's, you know, my old way of being about a year ago would have been to what's going to get me ahead. How am I going to be looking the best or being the best or, you know, I was all out to get what am I going to get out of these situations that I'm in versus what can I contribute? How can I be useful? What would make a difference for other people? That was not my normal thought process. My normal thought process was how do I get ahead? Um, and so when I when I came into this program and and I started learning about the disease and and um, food addiction, it all started to make sense why I was the way I was. My entire life, I felt like. I was the misfit, the outcast. I didn't feel like I had a place, even, you know, even from a young age um, with my peers, like in middle school and elementary school, I was like, I don't fit in with any of these people. Like I don't fit in at all. Um, and I had a pretty traumatic childhood. So, you know, going with the trauma that I have, you know, this household and a, a shaky household that I, nobody can relate to, but then also feeling like, I don't relate to anybody just on a regular everyday basis as I am. Um, and so when I came into this program and it, it started putting two and two together about why I'm the way I am and why I felt the way I feel, it all like things started to click for me. Um, but with that, and it later goes on to say, surely this was the answer self-knowledge. So yes, I could start to explain why I am the way I am and why I do the things I do but that only gets me so far. You know, this idea of like, I can know all there is to know in the world and all the, the knowledge of the world. But if I don't take the actions, if I don't do the work, that knowledge doesn't mean anything, honestly. Uh, it's just heavy weight sitting there. It's a paperweight. If you're not utilizing what you know and taking actions based on what you know. Um, and so, I also want to point out this, this part about the willpower. Um, and I think for me, I always thought that I had a lot of willpower and I did in other respects, 
um, in the areas of my life. I growing up in the childhood that I did uh, with a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, a lot of addiction and substance use from my my mom. I was good at being strong. I was good at covering up. I was good at making sure everything looked like it was in place, even though inside I was falling apart. And that takes a lot of willpower to put on a face like everything is great, really when you're dying inside. And that's how I felt my entire life. And so I had the willpower. I am very strong willed. Um, but again, that doesn't mean anything when it comes to my disease. When it comes to food, and honestly, for me, when it comes to pretty much anything, whether it's shopping, whether it's liquor, whether it's food, whether it's people, places, or things, I will overindulge uh, way too much because that's my go-to, is to numb and not feel what I'm feeling. And when it comes to addiction and this disease, willpower only gets you so far. And you can only run on those fumes for so long before those fumes start to dissipate and you can't keep up anymore. And that's the point that I got when I came into this program. Um, I come from a background in another 12-step program and I came into OA thinking, I'm gonna tackle this. Uh, and I know the 12 steps. I know this stuff. I got this, this is gonna be a breeze for me. Um, and you know, in this, in these pages where he says like, I would thought so well of myself and my abilities and my capacity to surmount obstacles was cornered at last. Like I, I had that ego piece of, I know these 12 steps. I know how to do this work. Um, you know, I have eight years in another program and, and going through the steps multiple times in that program was like, I can do this. Um, but I really had no idea. I was, and it, like it says here, I was cornered at last with this disease is that self-knowledge and that willpower only got me so far. And in my first, uh, I think month of abstinence, I was in that I'm cornered place of, I am either going to sink or swim because the way that I'm running my life right now on this willpower and self-knowledge, because that's how I did my program my first month was not going to continue. I was not going to be able to continue at that pace. I was running on fumes. Um, and so I had reached out to a fellow in the program um, that I heard share her story on a meeting. And it was one of those situations where I saw her and I was like, I want what she has. You know, she had that energy. She had the, uh, the feistiness. She had, you know, all this stuff that I wanted uh, for myself. And that, um, that was what I needed to make the beginning was to see in other people that it was possible to see in other people that her story was my story, just different circumstances. Um, but she was able to take the tools of this program, actually apply them and take the action. You know, it's like the chapter is into action. It's not into thinking. Like I can think all I want to think and know all I want to know, but that's not going to get me very far. Um, it's only going to get me so far. Um, so when I, when I think of my um, circumstances and, and the way that I felt before I came into this program, 
Um, like I said, I had, you know, time in another program and, and I thought I had my life figured out. Um, but really I, again, I was running on fumes, putting on that face, like I've got my life together when really I was dying inside. Um, and when he says I knew and almost welcomed the idea of death, that's where I was almost a year ago. That's where I was. I was just waiting for something to happen. Um, and I thought, um, I thought of, you know, and he talks about his wife and where, um, you know, where he was with his physical health, um, and, and how it would end up affecting his wife. And I thought of my husband and my son, I have a two-year-old at home and I, um, I had lost my mom at a young age because of addiction and substance use, um, and mental health. And I, because of the way that I was eating and because of the way that I, um, was treating my body with food, I was on the verge of losing my life at a very young age physically because of my physical health. Um, but also because of my mental health, I had done multiple stays in psych wards. I had done, you know, all this stuff because of my mental health. And I was so scared, um, to think about my son and my husband going through what I went through with my mom. And I, you know, from a young age, I was always like, I'm not going to become my mom. I'm not going to become my mom. Um, and I, I had that reality check of, oh my God, I could put my son in the same position as I could. And I would never wish that on anybody in my entire life. And so, um, you know, I think it's really interesting that this, you know, we all have our own journeys of how we got here and how we, we ended up at this very point in time and God has a greater plan for all of us. But I think that in my situation, all these circumstances in my life came together to bring me to this point today and to have a gratitude for those dark moments or for those moments that maybe I wouldn't have wanted to live again or go through again. But if I wouldn't have gone through those scenarios, I wouldn't be sitting here today in the great spot that I am in today. And I can truly say that I am in a great spot today. Um, and just the reality setting in of this disease and, and what it had done for me. And for so long, I searched for that self-knowledge and that understanding and that explanation. Um, and even just about a, a year before I started in this program, um, I started seeing a dietitian and got diagnosed with binge eating disorder. And I was like, this is it. I have binge eating disorder. I am going to take all the medications I need to do. I'm going to work with this dietitian. I'm going to do all the things that I need to do to fix and solve my problem. Um, but again, that self-knowledge doesn't get us anywhere because this, this disease for me is more spiritual than it is physical. So I can get my physical health in order and I can do all the, eat all the right things and eat all the right foods. But if I'm not mentally um, connecting with my higher power, and, and being spiritually fit, that, that will only, again, get me so far. Um, because for me, this disease is bodily and mentally. It's an allergy of the mind and an allergy of the body. Um, and so um, I want to kind of 
focus for the last little bit here on this the last two paragraphs here are just so good i could probably talk for like an hour on each sentence um because you know no words can tell the loneliness and despair i found in that bitter morass of self-pity self-pity was my best friend you you know i look at my life and i all the trauma that I went through. And I was like, woe is me. Look at all this stuff I've been through. I was treated horribly. I had all these bad things happen to me. Everybody feels sorry for me because I've been dealt a bad hand in life. Um, which is true to some degree, but I like just soaked that up. I sat in that self-pity um, and that loneliness and despair. Um, it, it's really lonely sitting in self-pity. And I felt alone my entire life. Um, and, I, and I substituted that loneliness with food or substances because nothing could fill that void. And, it, you know, they say like that God-sized hole that I have, nothing could fill that. But the only thing that can fill that is God, you know? And when I, um, when I, work the steps through my other program. And, you know, I said, I prayed, I said, I did all this work, but I wasn't actually really doing the work. I could talk the talk, but was I walking the walk? No. Um, and so again, I ran on those fumes until that quicksand stretched around me in all directions. And I love the imagery of that, like literally like sinking into this quicksand and it's all around me. I'm losing my breath. My head, you know, is the only thing above, above ground. Um, and, and slowly that's gonna, that's gonna go down too. Um, and this, you know, I had met my match. I'd been overwhelmed. Food was my master. And I have a note here that says I was destroyed. And that was me. I was destroyed physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, every area of my life, uh, was destroyed. Um, and I really had no other option. My options, I was like at a fork in the road where it was like, okay, I can either take actions and do something about this, or I can end my life because that was, that was my road. That was my two options was no life or life. And I had this moment from God, um, where I reached out to a friend and I said, I think I have a problem with food and I need to do something about it. And I don't just need to know that I have binge eating disorder. Um, I need to actually, uh, make some serious changes in my life. And she was like, I've been waiting for you to say this. Um, and, and at first I was mad, definitely uh, mad, but, um, and upset about that. But then I was, I was so grateful that she was that space for me. Um, she was that space for me to say, I had met my match. Lulu, food was my master. Left. Thank you. Uh, food was my master and I was destroyed. Um, and so I went to a program here in Minnesota um, and got connected with OA. Um, and, you know, trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. So I stepped out of that program 
after five days of detoxing from sugar, white flour, weighing and measuring my food, doing all the things I said I was never going to do. Um, and I was trembling. I was so scared. And that fear sobered me for a bit in that month. That fear got me, you know, to a good point. But then I reached a point of, I am going to eat again. And ultimately for me to eat is to drink again. And for me to drink is to die. So how dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. And that, I mean, that is just prime. That is golden. Um, and that is how I feel today. Um, that fourth dimension of existence, I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. And I just, some days I get, um, I'll be driving and I do, uh, because I'm a mom to a two-year-old, sometimes my meditation time is in the car uh, on my way to work because that's just life. And sometimes I'll be driving in the morning. Um, and for me, um, a lot of my meditation time and my connection is through music. So, you know, I put like uh, songs on and I have a playlist that's called my moments with God playlist. And um, it's all those songs that gives me goosebumps. And those goosebumps for me are like when I know God is here. Um, and sometimes I'm driving and I, I put on a song um, and there's one song specifically uh, called Amazing Because It Is. And I just get goosebumps. And I get this moment of like, is this really my life? Like that surreal, um, like almost like I, God is knocking me on the head. Like Lulu, yes, this is your life. Um, because it is, it's happiness, peace, and usefulness. And so I have the happiness. I'm happy with my day-to-day -day life. Now, this is not to say that every day is great. I have my moments. Um, I'm not cured. Um, but I have this happiness, uh, this contentment with life. And I have this peace, this trust that God has got my back and that there are greater plans for me, for you, for all of us in this world. And I trust that. Uh, doesn't mean I don't have fear about it, but I trust it. Um, and then I have this usefulness. I am not just out for myself anymore. I'm here for my fellows. I'm here for my peers. Um, my career is as a social worker. So every day I show up to work as how can I be helpful to my clients, but also to my coworkers and to my employer um, and to my peers. Um, that usefulness, because I need to get out of myself. Like I said earlier, I am very selfish, self-seeking. Um, and in order to get out of that, I have to be of service. And that can be anything from saying hi to somebody that looks like they're having a bad day, or it can be, you know, making a big change for somebody in their life. Um, you know, usefulness and service doesn't have to be some extravagant uh, task. It can be something very small to make a difference for somebody. In a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. And each day, each day I wake up and I say, 
I'm going to be abstinent today because it is 24 hours at a time. It is not one year at a time. It is 24 hours at a time for me. Um, each day that I wake up and I say, I'm going to weigh and measure my food today. And some days that's all I can do is weigh and measure my food. That's it. Um, it just gets better and better and better when I let go of what I think I know, what I think I want, what I think I deserve. And I trust because when I trust God and I trust his plan, things happen in my life that you like, I can't explain. I can't explain the things that have happened in my life. All I can say is that God's got a plan for me and God's got a plan for you. And there's a reason there's a rhyme and reason to why things are happening the way they are. Um, and for me, you know, at this point in my life, life is wonderful. That can change tomorrow uh, or, you know, next week. But for today, my life is wonderful. And I'm going to stay in that today. Um, so I think I'm going to close with that. Um, thank you for letting me be here and thank you for letting me share.